Welcome to Triple Threat Theater. Triple Threat Theater. Triple Threat Theater. However, I believe there is a more immediate threat. Thousands and thousands of feet of film consumed. Hours and hours of work expended by technicians. And once it's been erased and shredded, it can be done all over again. As all of you know, I've devoted much of my life to convincing the world that travel through film was not only possible, but necessary to survive. The oldest and strongest emotion of mankind is fear. And the oldest and strongest kind of fear is fear of the unknown. Welcome to the Triple Threat Theater Podcast. This is episode number 67, and my name is Ryan Miller. And I'm Joe Daxberger. Let's get gross. (laughs) Uh, Today's episode is titled S.G. Lovecraft, which I feel like for the uh, horror movie fans among us is probably one of the easier themes that we've uh, come up with a (laughs) title for. Mm Mm-hmm. Uh, For anyone who wasn't sure, that quote that I just gave is from one Howard Phillips Lovecraft. Oh. And the the observant among us will say, well, wait a minute. Howard Phillips, the initials for that is an SG. Hell no. That's because the SG stands for Stuart Gordon. Look at that. (laughs) Clever we are. (laughs) Uh, So three films based on the works of Howard Lovecraft, directed by Stuart Gordon. Uh, There's actually four feature-length movies we could have chosen from, but uh, the lineup we're going with is The Reanimator from 1985, From Beyond from 1986, and then jumping ahead to Dagon. Or Dagon. We ought to decide on a pronunciation. Because <laughs> mm. I always say it differently every single time I say it. I'm pretty sure in the movie they pronounce it Dagon. Dagon sounds better. So let's go with that. Let's go with Dagon. Uh, yeah. From 2001. Mills, I feel like Stu Gordon in these movies, especially the first two, are like very important to you as a movie-going cinephile. <laughs> horror fan, creature of the night. True, too true. Yeah, I am an enormous fan of both Reanimator and From Beyond, uh, especially Reanimator. But uh, mm-hmm. it's tough to say, like, I've over the years attempted to do, like, a top 10 movies of all time list or, like, top mm-hmm. 100 movies even. And then I just get, like, frustrated and annoyed at my inability to uh, come to any kind of decisions and then I give up. You do do this to yourself. (laughs) But I would say that probably The Reanimator is close to, if not in my top 10 movies of all time. Mm, Okay. As far as movies we have discussed on this show, unless something is slipping my mind, Mm -hmm. this might be the first uh, top 10 movie for me. Oh. uh, That we've talked about. I like it. But again, there is no official top 10 list, so don't ask me what it is. But Don't ask me. You're just going to anger the bear. (laughs) yeah i just i mean i've talked before about how probably my favorite sub 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 genre of movies is something i don't even really have a name for but it's like a group of people trapped in a location with a creature that they don't understand being picked off one by one Mm -hmm. so stuff like tremors or critters or alien or predator 
the thing, et cetera, et cetera. But I mean, probably second only to that for me is science gone wrong. (laughs) You do love science gone wrong. It's very true. So, you know, classic example being Frankenstein, which is, you know, very close to, I want to say that the original Herbert West reanimator stories written by HP Lovecraft were like a comment on, or almost like a parody of Frankenstein. Okay. I haven't done the full reading on this, but I'm pretty sure I've heard that somewhere, maybe from Stuart Gordon in one of the interviews that I've seen on one of the the Blu-rays or something like that. But, um, I mean, stuff like The Fly or mm-hmm. the movie Splice, which I'm a big fan of, Reanimator from Beyond, mm-hmm. you know, uh, scientists just getting in over their head and then creating or causing something terrible. What is the best of the best in that sub super sub genre? I mean, like not try. I mean, I know it's hard to like leave out when it's like your favorite versus like what's the best. But it's like, what would be. What would be the example to present? I mean, I that, think the seminal idea. one is Frankenstein. Like that feels mm. like the the origin of the the subgenre almost. But mm-hmm. I mean, I I would struggle to think of a more perfect film that is an example of it than The Fly. Okay, I was gonna say I think you know you got to give like the provenance to Frankenstein came first, but it's like if you got to give like the shining jewel of the super subgenre. Yeah. I would th- I would think The Fly. Mm-hmm. I think that's the one I would pick. The Fly I just think is a perfect movie anyway, but well, uh right. Yeah, I mean, that reanimator. I mean, even like uh it's not exactly a horror movie, but Jurassic Park is a good example of the genre yep. as well. Yep. But uh, I feel like we haven't seen what was the last the last bit of that we might have seen in the world. The I mean, Splice came out in like 2009. Mhm. And that's a definite example of it. There's probably it been one or two since, but I'm trying to think like, I mean, certainly farther back than, I mean, like species fits in that. Mm-hmm. Splice probably. Uh, I mean, just monster movies in general. There's always a ton of them being made. Most of them are right. like low budget garbage. Mm-hmm. But um, I mean, honestly, one of the last great, monster movies in my opinion i know most people wouldn't agree with this opinion but was splice so definitely for me one of the last great examples of science going wrong yeah but uh, like just like as you said the super sub genre of like the science gone wrong especially when like when man brings it on themselves mm-hmm. you know so good yeah so i mean there's definitely that element uh in reanimator i think it's even more so in from beyond you know, creating a machine that, mm-hmm. you know, you it, the the person who's creating it doesn't even fully understand what they're getting themselves into. Right. Right. Like Herbert West is trying to, in the reanimator, he's trying to beat death. Like he has a goal in mind and he kind of has an idea of what he's doing. But mm-hmm. Dr. Pretorius in From Beyond, like he's just curious about what's out there and is just creating a machine to see what happens. And that's, <laughs> right. you know. Right scary in itself but mm-hmm. Milzy, what's your history with these movies i've seen all three um i might have told this story before but uh you know always been a fan of horror movies and monster movies and stuff and um probably 
mid-2000s, I think after I graduated from the Kubert School and moved back home, I had another friend uh, who was into horror movies, and we just started, it didn't, it's not like a trend that lasted a super long time, but for a couple weeks we would get together, we would go to Blockbuster Video when that was still a thing, and we would just like go through the horror aisle and rent like two movies at a time that we had never seen before. Mm-hmm. And um, that was how much did that cost? I mean, it couldn't have been much, but what were they five bucks a piece? I don't even know if it was that much to rent a movie, like it's because these aren't like the new movies, you know. Mm-hmm. These were like older. It's not mm. like oh, this is the brand new thing on the wall that they're going to upcharge you for. True, Probably true. Like three okay. bucks a piece or something, if I had to guess. But all right, carry. I on. don't know. That's not a that's not a detail that I have retained. But I know that that was the first time I saw Christine and Children of the Corn was in that era. Uh, I'm pretty sure that's the first time I saw Hellraiser. And, uh, you know, I had heard of uh, the reanimator because I had seen American Beauty and they talk about the movie in that. Oh, do they? Have you seen American Beauty? I have. Do you remember what I'm talking about? I don't. Yeah, it's like, I think um, it's been a while since I've seen it, but I think like Kevin Spacey, He's like trying to buy drugs from like the the young male lead. I don't remember that actor's name. Wes Bentley. Yeah, yeah. And uh, it's like as an excuse of like, oh, I'm going to come over and I'm going to borrow that video we were talking mm. about, the movie where like the, the severed head like talks <laughs> to the guy or whatever. But it's like the real thing they're doing is like buying drugs or whatever. Mm-hmm. And I remember, you know, knowing about the movie from that, but I didn't really know anything else about it and renting it and it being one of those movies that like the first time I watched it, I was just like, holy shit, how have I never seen this before? (laughs) And just like loving it immediately, just the tone and everything. And then it wasn't until a good couple of years later, I think that I was finally like, what the hell else has that guy done? And I tracked down from beyond and again was surprised like, holy shit, this is like, this movie feels like it was made for me. Why have I never seen this before? (laughs) Mm Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, continued down the line, the other H.P. Lovecraft adaptation that Stuart Gordon did with Barbara Crampton and um, Jeffrey Combs, who were both in Reanimator and From Beyond, was uh, Castle Freak, which is also a movie that I enjoy. And then Dagon uh, doesn't have those two actors, but Mm -hmm. is by Stuart Gordon is also a Lovecraft adaptation. What was your thought on leaving Castle Freak out of this episode? You know... While that is a Stuart Gordon, Jeffrey Combs, Barbara Crampton movie, is like when I think H.P. Lovecraft, Stuart Gordon, the other three come to my mind. Like, I, I don't know why, but Castle Freak doesn't stick out in my head. It's like, oh, that's another Lovecraft movie that they've done. Mm, okay. that's. Fair. I don't know why exactly, but uh, yeah, I, I don't know if I have a really good answer for that aside that's from for, like Dagon and the whole like elder gods and you know mm-hmm. all the chanting of cthulhu and people turning into fish creatures just feels way more mm-hmm. hp lovecraft than you know a freak in a castle that that almost Fair. feels more edgar Allan poe to me but mm. well we don't have to explain ourselves to anybody here so <laughs> yeah i don't know i don't i don't have a real real great uh I like reason it. i guess but uh, what about you? Uh, what kind of connection to or history with these movies do you have? My history to these movies is strictly based on my friendship with one Ryan Horatio Miller <laughs> and and uh, ghoul Tony Sedani. I think, I don't know, it's just like, I feel like I've been hearing you, especially from Beyond and 
reanimator like you guys talking about those for years i'm sure over the years of our friendship telling me to watch it i mean me seeing you with the t-shirt uh you know it's just kind of always one of those things like it was probably most like prevalent to me that it was a thing this is getting in the weeds but like going years back when we used to do like halloween sketch cards every year and you did like one from uh from beyond and i can remember like being like what in the what in the hell is this? And then like probably just like watching clips online or you telling me to watch something or cause I have like zero history with HP Lovecraft, like never read any of it growing up or was like just, it was a name I knew that was connected to horror, but like didn't know any of the, like really anything to go along with that. Mm-hmm. I'm not even entirely sure if I've seen from beyond before or not. I know it sounds weird, but it's like I might have just and again, just in in the going ons of our friendships, like watching like big chunks of these movies while we're together or just like watching like crazy climax from from beyond on YouTube or something. So I couldn't actually tell you for sure if I'd seen the whole thing from start to finish before watching it for the show. Mm -hmm. But uh, a few years back, it might have been during Halloween, but I watched Reanimator like based off like you know you you and tony's recommendations for sure and like really loving it. i thought it was great like and i think that was like the best way for me to watch it because mm-hmm. like building that one up in my head i think that like it just paying off so well and really like being like just kind of like how you described it the tone of it is very it's very much like of that movie and just the whole thing the effects of course which we go on and on with our love of the practical jams so that was like a few years back and then maybe a year or three ago I watched Dagon just like kind of being aware of it but never seeing it or really knowing even like all the connections with Stuart Gordon but I watched it for like another like Halloween season kind of watch mm-hmm. so so you hadn't seen any of these until like how long ago are we talking like, like five years your, our friendship so 10 years but yeah, more than likely, probably five or six. Wow. I mean, yeah. I feel like I came late to the game with these, and I, I saw... Oh, it's definitely after you. I mean, I probably saw all of them, like, 15 years ago or so, but... And again, like, Reanimator kind of, like, being, like, a catchy name, I think is something I always heard, but, like, I couldn't tell you any... I couldn't, like, relate a photo to Reanimator. I just knew it was <laughs> a thing, you know what I mean? Like... yeah. Even to this day, I don't even know, like, are these even direct adaptations of Lovecraft stories or how how those work? I don't even know. Well, we can talk about that a little more as we get into the individual films, because I have some details on that. But mm-hmm. yeah, I'm actually very curious to hear that. So, mm-hmm. And if I'm not mistaken, you've actually seen the other Stuart Gordon H.P. Uh, Lovecraft adaptation, because a couple of years ago you watched, if I'm not mistaken the two full seasons of masters of horror. Oh, that's right. And one of the two episodes that he directed, I think was dreams in the witch house, which is another yes. HP Lovecraft. Mm-hmm. That is true. So look at that. So yeah, yeah, very late, late to the game, but also consider myself a fan. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Stuart Gordon's one of those guys. I mean, you know, it's now that we're talking about it, uh, we've already reviewed robot jocks on the show before. And, 
that was a Stuart mm. Gordon film, and right. you, you were a fan of that from your youth, right? Oh, yeah. That one goes way back. So you had that Stuart Gordon connection, which, you know, that's more of like an action sci-fi movie than a horror mm-hmm. film, but... Um, like I came to that, that one late too. Like I'm sure that after I saw Reanimator and I was tracking down other stuff that he did, that's that's got to be around the time I saw Robot Jocks for the first time as well. Yeah. It was just like, man, this director gets me. <laughs> I mean, we we had to have talked about it in that episode too, but I think like I was probably like so nervous that it was going to be lousy because you know loving something when you're a kid and then not knowing better mm-hmm. to beat Robot Jocks to still be awesome. It's such a good <laughs> feeling. Yeah, crash and burn, man. Oh, shit. (laughs) All right, well, do you want to go ahead and uh, get into our first movie here? Let's do this. All right, from uh, 1985, we have Reanimator. It's really quite simple. All life is a physical and chemical process, correct? It stands to reason, then, that if one could find extremely fresh specimens and recharge that chemical process, bang, we have reanimation. The theory is not new, West. But my reagent is... Read. With various animating solutions, I have killed and brought to animated life a number of rabbits, guinea pigs, cats, and dogs. I've broken the six to 12 minute barrier. I've conquered brain death. With the higher animals and the consequent increased strength of solution, reaction has become more violent. My research has become more difficult. Which is why I need you to help me. Help you? You are the perfect person to assist me. You're hardworking, bright, people respect you, and you have access to certain authorities. We can defeat death. We can achieve every doctor's dream. You'll be famous and live lifetimes. You haven't done this on people. I've done all I can here. I'll need new lab space. So, uh, the reanimator, the original six, I think it was six short stories that uh, Lovecraft wrote for, like back in the day, these guys who were writing like pulp stories or like science fiction or horror stories, uh, it wasn't typically like they were writing and putting out novels Mm-hmm. They were writing for like weird tales and old yeah, like pulp magazines digest and things like that. stuff. Yeah. So the original uh, Herbert West reanimator stories were, I believe, six short stories that were published in um, uh, 1922 was when uh, the first one came out. And um, so Stuart Gordon... Him and his wife, uh, Carolyn Purdy Gordon, who is in Reanimator and From Beyond, uh, she's the one who gets her eyeball sucked out in Ooh. From Beyond. <laughs> uh, the two of them started a theater company called the Organic Theater Company in Chicago, I think. And um, basically, they thought, like we should try and like get our actors that we work with at the theater company a little more like uh, notice. We should write a film that we can uh, like showcase some of our actors in. And uh, a friend of Stuart Gordon said to him, like the easiest kind of movie to finance is a horror film. 
Mm. Um, and that's why you see so many guys like, uh, you know, uh, Peter Jackson and right. Sam Raimi, like these guys in like the 80s who were like, you know, becoming genre filmmakers doing horror films because it almost seems like it would be harder or more expensive to make those movies because they have like special effects and kill scenes and stuff. But I think it's always just been the case that horror fans are more like they just want horror stuff. So it's like Mm -hmm. easier to sell horror. Like if you did a drama film, it's like it has to actually be like really well done. Whereas a horror movie can be like kind of chintzy or like crummy. But as long as it has those things that horror fans want, you can make more money from from one (laughs) Nailed it. Yeah, that's exactly what it is. Yeah. So Stuart Gordon decides he's always liked the writings of H.P. Lovecraft, so he wanted to do a Lovecraft story, but he wasn't familiar with the reanimator stuff, and he always liked Frankenstein, so a friend of his was like, well, you should read Herbert West reanimator. And I guess at the time, it was hard to find copies of that stuff, so he went to the local library and he got, like, he, you know, borrowed a book and, and read the stories and really liked it. And so they adapted it into a script, uh, oh. him and uh, two writers named William J. Norris and Dennis Paoli. Dennis Paoli went on to work on a bunch of stuff with Stuart Gordon. And so then they brought the script to the uh, organic theater company to show to some of the other like shareholders. And all the other people who worked there were like... Uh, no way are we going to do this horror movie. Like we thought we were going to do some like kind of artsy drama or something. Um, We don't want anything to do with this. (laughs) So Uh Stuart Gordon had faith in the material, took a leave of absence, went to Hollywood, got some funding, met uh, the producer, Brian Yuzna there, who he worked on a bunch of this stuff with. And then uh, they, they made the movie in Hollywood with none of the actors from the organic theater company, which the point in the first place was to make a movie with all the actors that they knew. Right, right. So they moved to a different state and uh, had to hire a bunch of people they didn't know. And became famous. Yeah, and just ended up with Jeffrey Combs, Barbara Crampton, Bruce Abbott, David Gale, like this incredible cast. Yeah, that's wild. Mm-hmm. But, uh, yeah, so apparently the, like, Stuart Gordon's original plan was, oh, we'll just adapt, like, maybe the first three short stories or something. But allegedly, I, I, I haven't read the stories myself, so I don't know exactly what's in them. But apparently, there are elements from all six stories in the film. Oh, that's cool. But, uh, I, I mean, I already kind of said that this is one of my favorite movies. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I love the, obviously, like, the the horror stuff, the the special effects, it's... You know, not the most incredible looking movie in the world, but it just has that kind of DIY uh, feeling that a movie mm-hmm. like uh, Dead Alive or, uh, you know, Evil Dead has where, yeah. like I was kind of saying before, like it, it sounds kind of bad to be like if you're a horror fan, you'll just accept any old garbage as long as it's horror because I wouldn't necessarily say that's the case for me. I definitely think there's some people who feel that way, but... um Oh, it's yeah. like when I see like the passion and the effort was put in, then I can overlook some cheapness, you know? Yeah. You can kind of see the strings like quote unquote in this movie, but mm-hmm. I don't mind because it's just got this aesthetic and aesthetic and this feel to it that uh, really works for me. Yeah. Like um, I, I feel like I did actually see this at like the perfect time for me. Not to say I necessarily would have, like, hated it at any other time. Because, like, like, we've gone over. Like, I grew up 
watching horror stuff I should not have been watching at the time. Like, I definitely should not have been watching, like, the Blob remake or Return of the Living Dead, like, uh, you know, like, at a real early age. Mm-hmm. And it feels like this movie would have fit in for me at the time right around there. But, but then as I got older, I can, I you know, maybe thinking about, like, getting into, like, newer horror. So if I saw this when I was in, like, high school or a little older, like, I don't know what I would have thought of it. But when I, to see it in the last, like, 10 years, whenever it was, feels like the perfect time. Because I love it. I think it's great. Yeah. Like, it was, like, spot on, like, tonally fun. It feels like a time capsule, which is what I like to see. Mm-hmm. You know, stories just enough out there. And I think, like, Dr. Herbert West in this movie is, like, one of the best horror characters. He's so good. I think, I think he plays it, like, so perfectly that it's, like, just, like, the perfect casting character and everything together. Like, it's, I think it's so fun when he's there. Yeah. I think Stuart Gordon got incredibly lucky just happening upon Jeffrey Combs. I mean, mm-hmm. he... I mean the I love the the tone of the movie. It's like horrifying and gross, but at the same time it's just really fun and funny. Like this movie has a really dark sense of humor. Yeah. And Jeffrey Combs's delivery so often is just like it's so funny. Like his character is being it, it it's his character has like a weird personality disorder or something where he just doesn't oh, yeah. relate to the average human being. So yeah. he says things that just no normal person would say. Mm-hmm. Like one of the best lines is um, Bruce Abbott uh, plays Dan Kane, kind of the male lead of the movie. And uh, he has a cat named Rufus that uh, ends mm-hmm. up dead. It's never explicitly stated that uh, Herbert killed the cat, but you kind of assume that he did so that he could experiment on it and bring it back to life. Mm-hmm. But when he's lying and saying that the cat like died and he put it in his refrigerator not to keep it fresh for his experiments, but so like he could give it to uh, mm-hmm. Dan later. Mm-hmm. Dan's like, you could have told me, you could have left a note. And then Herbert's like, what would the note say? Cat dead details later. <laughs> like It's like, yeah, like from Herbert's point of view, that's the completely logical thing yeah. to say, but it's also like hilariously off kilter at yeah. the same time. So many of his lines throughout the movie are like that. And yeah. it makes him such a funny and interesting character. Totally. He just like comes off as like a zero tact, is like a genius, but has like probably been a recluse or a shut in working on his working in his lab and like never interacts with people and is thus an asshole. Yeah, it's like he's all about logic and strategy, and he doesn't have time for like emotion and uh, mm-hmm. totally <laughs> and tact. And yeah, just the way that Jeffrey Combs plays him is so perfect. Yeah, uh, he just like perfect marriage of actor and character and like subject matter i really is like all his line deliveries just like made me laugh the entire time and just you know as like the the story unfolds in this thing and it just gets crazier and crazier and it's like you know the camera will just like pan to him and he's just got like that dead stare like 100 yard (laughs) stare just like makes me laugh every time i see it and then like you know comparatively bruce abbott his character is a little more of like a generic good guy and I don't think Bruce Abbott is as amazing. Like, he's good enough. He fill, fulfills his role. He's like the punching bag for uh, for Herbert, in a manner mm-hmm. of speaking. But, like, I think that uh, Barbara Crampton was another really great find. And apparently, uh, the story that she tells is she wasn't the actress that they had originally chosen. 
but uh, the first actress, like they gave, like she got the the role, and then her mother read the script and told her, "You're not doing this movie," and so she had to drop out. Nice. <laughs> and then Barbara ended up getting the role as like the second choice. That's Look what she that. says anyway. Uh, it's one of those stories that almost sounds like too good to be true, mm-hmm. but. The Scream Queen herself. Yeah, I mean, she's just because I love this movie and From Beyond so much. She's been in a bunch of other stuff too. She's in Chopping Mall and a couple of other movies. Oh, but, okay. Um, because I love Reanimator and From Beyond so much, she's like my personal favorite Scream Queen. Mm-hmm. I, I mean, and all of her screams are actually her. <laughs> and yeah. she's fucking great at screaming. Oh yeah. No, she's. I don't think she's a great actress. Actually, you know. Yeah, she's she's, she's really good in these kind of roles. Like, I don't know how great she'd be delivering Shakespeare or something, but when she's playing like these kind of characters, yeah. I think she's really good. Yeah, I think she could have been fine. Like in any of like any kind of eighties, you know, love story, drama, or comedy. Like, yeah, I think she, she could have era. perfectly fit into a role like uh, you know Jennifer in Back to the Future or something oh, yeah. as well. If that's the kind of movies that she had ended up in mm-hmm. instead of horror films but you know then she became known for this kind of stuff and you know she was willing to do all of the uh you know excessive nudity that these kind of movies require and she from all the interviews and stuff i've seen was never self-conscious about it never looked down on the fact that you know she had to do it for the movies and Mm -hmm. i think that that willingness to do that stuff uh and an understanding of why it's there just makes her even better in these kind of roles you know yeah she embraced Embraced it for herself. I mean, how many actresses would have been okay doing the uh, <laughs> the severed head giving head scene at the end yeah. of this movie? Not many. <laughs> yeah, just. But man, what a fucking great moment! Like it's one of those things where the first time you watch it, you have no idea it's coming, and you just can't believe what you're seeing. Yeah, it definitely goes. It goes. It goes in that direction fast, where you're just like, "Oh, they're going for it." Oh, yep. There they go. Yeah, it's so funny if you've ever seen Stuart Gordon in an interview. He's just one of the like most soft-spoken kind of intellectual kind of people. And everyone talks about how like what a nice guy he is. But man, then the movies he makes are like twisted. And not just in like horror ways, but just like I'm sure that that wasn't in one of the original H.P. Uh, Lovecraft stories, the, uh, the severed right. head going down on a girl. But... Man, just the fact that he and the the other writers that he was working with came up with that, and that feels like the kind of thing they would have said, oh, wouldn't it be funny if this happened, and then they didn't do it, but man, they put it in the movie, and it, you know, as kind of, you know, lewd and <laughs> gross oh, as it is. It's more than kind of. <laughs> it's become <laughs> iconic. Like, it's the thing people oh, know yeah. the movie for. Oh, yeah. I just love all the scenes. Just when he, the way they do, like, the camera tricks to have him look like a severed head. Mm-hmm. Where it's like he's in the pan on the table, or <laughs> he's like just being like held by his body, like just off screen, like because I think it just fits with the tone of the movie too. But I just love all that. Yeah, Makes sometimes it's really successful. Other times oh, yeah. it's really obvious what they're doing. But yeah, that's, that's the thing I'm talking about. Is like it doesn't like break the illusion for me at all. Like I at all times know I'm watching a movie, and mm-hmm. you know there are other horror films that like try and take themselves really seriously for effect, and that's you know those kind of movies. But this one is definitely having fun. Oh yeah, with the subject matter. So if it's obvious that uh, you know they've got a fake upper body on his shoulders and he's kneeling on the floor with his head sticking <laughs> through a hole in the front of a shirt, like mm-hmm. whatever. <laughs> <laughs> or even just like when they have the 
the, his supposed like headless body running around with the fake head on it and stuff. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, they look like a doctor. Yeah. Me. But speaking of him, that's uh, that's David Gale, an actor who uh, he's been in a ton of stuff, but I don't really know any of it aside from, you know, this movie. He was in the sequel Bride of Reanimator and uh, he's in another cheesy horror film called The Brain. Mm. But um, he's another one who just seems like he's up for anything. It seems like he's having a blast. I mean, this is the kind of movie where I don't think any of the actors could be pretentious. Like, it just wouldn't work if they were. Yeah. You just have to kind of accept the the weird nature of what right. you're doing. Just go for it. Choose some scenery while you're there. Yeah. But he's he's great as, like, a conniving villain. Oh, yeah. Plays a great creep. Mm-hmm. Complete weirdo by the end villain. Yeah. Something I do love about this movie and from beyond is very similar. And it's something that I also relate to one of the things that I love about the fly is that if you really stop and think about it, like there's a lot going on with like special effects and, and, and plot in this movie, but -hmm. it's extremely small scale. If you look at the amount of sets and the amount of like actors in the movie. Oh, forget it. Yeah. Cause if you look at the cast, it's, Dr. West, it's Dan Kane, Bruce Abbott's character, it's Megan Halsey, Barbara Crampton's character, David Gale as the villain, uh, Dr. Hill, and then uh, Megan's dad, the dean of the school, Dean Halsey, played by Robert Sampson. <laughs> right. And outside of that, I mean, you have a small role for Stuart Gordon's wife, Carolyn, as like a doctor. She's like in three scenes, maybe. Mm-hmm. But then like, and and the uh, the security, security guard, guard has yeah. like a couple of lines, but outside of that, there's like you know there's other people walking around in the background, but that's all you need. And then some other zombified remains or whatever. Yeah, and and same thing in From Beyond. Uh, you know, there's basically uh, Barbara Crampton, Jeffrey Combs, um, Ken Foray, and then the guy who plays Doctor Pretorius and the other female psychiatrist played by. Carolyn Purdy Gordon again, but that's like all the characters in that movie. And that's one of my favorite things about the fly is that there's really only three characters in the entire movie. Mm-hmm. It's Jeff Goldblum. It's Gina Davis. And, uh, I forget his name, but, uh, a beard that loses a hand. Yeah. Uh, it's just the three of them. And they tell an incredible story with like two locations and mm-hmm. three actors and yeah. a bunch of special effects. Totally. And it's kind of the same thing here. You've got, like the morgue, you've got uh, Dan's apartment, yep. Megan's house for like two scenes. That's like really all you need. Yeah. It's just like, oh, it's just so, such a good sign of the times where it's like you just made do with what you had. And Yeah. I mean, it, it goes right back to like uh, Evil Dead and they basically mm. just had a cabin in the woods and they made the entire thing work in that one location. Mm-hmm. And it ends up being a really great movie. And I think the same kind of thing goes for Reanimator. Yeah. Totally, man. This one's just a good time. This yeah. like this is like so deserving of its like cult status. Oh, for sure. Yeah. I mean, Jeffrey Combs' performance, like we talked about, a couple of the moments, like, you know, the the severed head and the the giving head scene, um, the glowing green reagent is such like yeah. a great visual mm-hmm. that you know, other movies have used stuff like that since, like the blood of the predator 
in the Predator movies. Right, right. But I feel like, I mean, Stuart Gordon claims that, so it was um, like, uh, what do you call it, uh, glow stick, like the liquid in glow sticks is what they used as the reagent. Mm-hmm. And he claims that this was the first time it had ever been used on screen in a film in this way, like as just the liquid. Oh, okay. And, uh, you know, it feels unique and original and... Well, photographs so well, too. Mm-hmm, for sure. I love the uh, the music in this movie, the theme song especially, which was done by uh, Richard Band, the brother of Charles Band, who owned Empire Pictures that put this movie out. Okay. Uh, he did a lot of the music for Charles Band's movies, and um, <laughs> the... The uh, theme song for Reanimator is actually incredibly similar to the theme song for Psycho, which was on purpose because Richard Band claims that he was homaging Psycho, but a lot of people view it as just a, a ripoff yeah. because it's so goddamn close. But mm-hmm. it's just got that same kind of energy and kind of vibe that the entire movie has, where everything is just kind of fast-paced and a little off-kilter. I don't, I didn't pick up on that, but... Yeah, it doesn't seem like to to use the excuse of a homage doesn't really fit because the two movies are so different. Mm-hmm. But that's whatever. what he claims. Whatever. Yeah, but whatever. <laughs> but I like this. This is another movie that. Uh, so there's a couple different versions of this film. It was originally released unrated when it came out, which is kind of rare. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think just because they didn't want to take out any of the gore because they would have to probably remove so much for the MPAA to give it an R rating. Oh, yeah. It was released unrated originally, and then there was a, I think like a TV edit that takes out some of the gore and stuff, and it's actually longer than the unrated version because they put back in a bunch of uh, dialogue scenes that were cut from the unrated version. Uh, And then there's a newer cut that's called the integral cut where um, when somebody, I think uh, around the year like 2007 or eight was doing a, uh, like a new transfer of the film, they took all the gore and stuff from the unrated version, but they added in all of those extra dialogue scenes from the, the rated version to create like the longest and most complete cut. Mm-hmm. To date, I have only watched the unrated version, but um, I mean, the unrated version, which was Stuart Gordon's preferred version of the movie, is very brisk. It's like 90 minutes long. Uh, another similarity that it has with The Fly, where it just feels like it gets in, there's no like extra meat on the bones, and then it gets out and it like accomplishes everything that it needs to. It doesn't feel like it's like spinning its wheels or wasting time on anything it doesn't need. It's just a super successful watch for me every single time i mean totally i'm right there with you one thing that's kind of like i notice it more the more i watch the movie is uh one of the things that they did cut because i think the original cut of the movie was like two and a half hours long or something like that there was a subplot in the movie that they removed where dr hill had like psychic powers and he could like hypnotize people I'm glad they left that out. (laughs) Yeah, they cut that out of the movie, but I feel like in the second half, you can still kind of feel it a little bit. Like like the way he talks? Well, it's like, um, so if you think about the scene where Dr. Hill goes to Herbert's little lab in the basement, and he's like, He's like blackmailing Herbert and telling him like how he's going to take his uh, reagent. Just the way he talks to him. 
he I forget the exact lines of dialogue, but like Herbert's arguing with him and then he's like, you will give me the reagent or something. Mm. And then Herbert just kind of like backs off mm-hmm. like little things like that or um, when Dr. Hill with his severed head goes to uh, Megan's father who is like now psychotic because he's dead and he's bring, been brought back to life and he's in that padded room. Mm-hmm. And there's that scene where he they're like on opposite sides of the glass and uh, Megan's dad is just kind of, he's acting like he's kind of hypnotized and he's staring at the glass and then they do this effect where right. they fade Dr. Hill's face onto his face, like through the glass, mm-hmm. little things like that. Or even at the very end, like uh, how he like when Dr. Hill says like, I had a plan too. And then all of a sudden all the other zombies in the room, like wake up. Right. There's little things that, you know, they don't need to be explained necessarily, but the, if you know that he originally was supposed to have psychic powers, you can feel that it's kind of left over in the movie as is. Yeah, totally. I mean, imagine like being the editor and being like, yeah, you got to cut all that out. Yeah. It's like, (laughs) which is crazy to me, but yeah, that's like a big, weird character trait to just have to yeah, remove from the movie right. entirely. Still works. I mean, I will say all three movies, they're like 90-minute run times. Gotta mm-hmm. love it. Oh, yeah. Perfect. Yeah, for this kind of movie, for sure. Oh, yeah. So this movie was followed by Bride of Reanimator in 1990 and Beyond Reanimator in 2003. Uh, I don't really think Stuart Gordon had much to do with either of them. Both were directed by Brian Yuzna. Which is a name I know from you. But well, he was producer on Reanimator and From Beyond and uh, Dagon. And he also is the director of Society. Ah, uh, yes, of course. <laughs> Among other things. The shunting. Yes. <laughs> and so he he became a producer on Reanimator. He was like, I forget what he did. He was like a... I forget what he did for work before he got into film, but he like had some extra money and wanted to get into producing and met uh, Stuart Gordon when he came out to Hollywood to make the reanimator. And then they kind of got in together and um, did a lot of work together. But then Brian Yesna went on to do like a lot of other genre films as well. Did some directing, did some producing. Mm. Okay. And he was kind of the reason that Dagon got made eventually, which we'll talk about when we get to that one. Mm. But All right. All right. So yeah, he did the two sequels. Uh, Jeffrey Combs comes back for both of them. Bruce Abbott came back for Bride, uh, but not for Beyond. And um, there were allegedly plans for a fourth reanimator movie at different points through time. Two of the ones that I am familiar with are uh, Island of Reanimator, which... (laughs) I think that was more Brian Yuzna's deal where he wanted to do a film where it was kind of like the Island of Dr. Moreau, but with Herbert West. Okay. And I could, uh, there's not a lot of details about that one out there, but then the other one that I remember there being a lot of talk about maybe like 10, 15 years ago was house of reanimator, which apparently the premise was that, um, the president of the United States dies suddenly and they bring, they get Herbert West out of prison (laughs) to bring the president back to life. (laughs) And so it was going to be like Herbert West working in the white house, bringing the president back. And then God only knows what would happen from there. I'd watch that. 
<laughs> but around that time, uh, Stuart Gordon had started making a couple of like kind of drama thrillers that weren't really horror. Uh, one of them was called Edmund and starred William H. Macy. And uh, the rumor was that William H. Macy would play the president. Okay. Which would okay. have been amazing. <laughs> yes, I could see that. <laughs> yeah, I wish that happened. But um, I love it. Yeah, it never came about. And uh, unfortunately, just a couple years ago in 2020, Stuart Gordon died. So, uh, I mean, Brian Yesna could still make it, I imagine. But Sure. But. I don't know what the chances of that are at this point. Not quite the same. Yeah. But, uh. Yeah, Reanimator uh, allegedly had a budget of $900,000. Because oh. it was released unrated, I don't think it played in a lot of places. It only had a box office of $2 million from what I could find, but... Still uh, still pretty good. Yeah, I mean, it is one of those movies that has just become an absolute cult classic. And, uh, I mean, it opened a lot of doors for uh, Stuart Gordon. I mean, based on that movie, he got his gig. He got his office at uh, Disney which we've talked about before. He was right. the one, him and Brian right. Yuzna created Honey, I Shrunk the Kids. Right. And, oh, Jesus, uh, all about that. Yeah, they had an office at Disney for many years. And, Amazing. Um, yeah. And uh, it also got him a three-picture deal at Empire Pictures, Charles Band's company, because um, Reanimator was produced independently, but then Empire Pictures released it. And after like the good word of mouth and the... Uh, the box office return. Uh, Charles Band signed uh, Stuart Gordon on for a three-picture deal, which is how we ended up getting from Beyond. Hmm. How does one find purchase the best version of Reanimator these days? Else? Arrow Video has a like a special edition that mm-hmm. has. Uh, so I have like they did a limited edition big box version that has. Uh, two discs, three different versions of the movie. It comes with a comic book and like a big package. Uh, that's the one I have, but they do have a standard release. I'm not sure if it has all three versions of the movie on the standard release or not, but um, that would be the way to go. Nice. There's a commentary. There's a making of documentary. It's got all kinds of good stuff. Very good. Yeah. Um, I mean... I could I could go on. I could tell. But <laughs> uh any other thoughts on uh, Reanimator before we move on? I mean, I think uh we're both pretty glowing of it. It's a good time. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Not for everybody, but a good time. <laughs> Warts and all just a movie that from the minute I first saw it, I just it was like one of those like it's one of the last times I can think of where I watched an older movie that had been around for a while that just became like an instant favorite of mine. Mm, um, mm-hmm. There's only a couple of instances that I can really think of that happening because other movies that I love, like Terminator 2 or like Tremors, like I, I saw those movies like within a year or so after they originally came out on like VHS or TV or whatever. But one big one for me is when I was in high school, I saw John Carpenter's The Thing for the first time. Mm. And mm-hmm. I remember watching that alone in my basement and just when the defibrillator scene happened, just being yeah. like, oh, I, this is I this is like my favorite thing in the world. Uh-huh. And uh, yeah, during that time period that I talked about, um, like in the early mid 2000s after I graduated from uh, from the Kubert school, The Fly and Reanimator are like the, 
potentially the last two times I can think of that really happening. Where oh, I the, saw fl- a movie. the fly was later for you too. Yeah, yeah, that was in that oh, same wow. time period. Like it's just one that I, I, I just remember when I was younger. You know, that was a, a horror movie that was kind of popular. But just, just thinking to myself, like a fly, like that's not scary. That sounds mm-hmm. stupid. Mm-hmm. Then when I finally saw it, I realized how stupid I was for oh, thinking that. <laughs> so good. But and yeah, I was, I was a weirdo. I would watch that a lot. But then I think I've seen the fly two even more. I used to watch <laughs> the fly two all the time. Wow. Big Eric Stoltz fan, eh? I've apparently. <laughs> yeah, only seen that one once myself. But uh, yeah, uh, The Fly and The Reanimator, like I say, are like potentially the last two instances I can think of about 15 years ago where mm-hmm. saw them for the first time and was just immediately like, wow, there's a new fucking movie in my top 10 of all time. I mean, that is pretty exciting. You know, to find like old gems you've never seen. Yeah. Yeah. But the thing is, like, our little tagline of uh, you've seen the best, now we're watching the rest, uh, mm-hmm. I feel like I have now spent the last, like, 15 years just, like, trudging through the bottom of the barrel. Yeah, you just, you've got a <laughs> long run of junk. Yeah, but. But you can't help yourself. You mm-hmm. can't find those diamonds without uh, digging through the rough, you know. It's true. It's true. <laughs> You're a prime example. All right, uh, next up, from the following year, 1986, we have From Beyond. Humans are such easy prey. Let her go! Oh, I will. Beyond her wildest dreams, she will go into my mind. And I will go into hers. It's the greatest sensual pleasure there is. You never knew pleasure or gave it only pain. You are evolving into a being that has never existed before. I'm Crawford Tillinghast. Let it happen. It's so beautiful. So beautiful. Now you can truly see. What have you done to him? I only awakened his sleeping pineal gland. It did the rest itself. From beyond was first published in 1934 and uh, is only seven pages long. Oh. So they had to do quite a bit of work adapting it. (laughs) Long story short, um, the opening of the movie, like before the opening titles, when it's just like, uh, you know, Pretorius and um, Mm -hmm. Crawford up in the attic and they use the machine for the first time. And, uh, like the neighbor woman comes into the house with the dog, all that stuff. Yeah. That is yeah. basically their adaptation of the short story. And then everything else that happens after the opening titles, they made oh. up <laughs> Oh wow. just because there wasn't that much to 
hmm. to the story. Huh. Okay. Um, apparently, Stuart Gordon wanted to do Dagon as his follow-up to Reanimator, but uh, when he handed the script to Charles Band, who was now his producer, uh, Charles Band didn't like it and just thought it was like people wouldn't be into the idea of people turning into fish or whatever. Mm-hmm. So he was like, what else do you have? And so Stuart and uh, Brian Yuzna, they basically gave him quick pitches for like a couple of other H.P. Lovecraft stories that they could adapt. And Charles Band d- chose From Beyond. Like that's the one he thought would be oh. successful. So okay. uh, that's how they ended up making this one. All right. All right. So this one, kind of like I mentioned in our opening, a little more of that like uh, science gone wrong thing where it's basically Dr. Pretorius is this like kind of crazy scientist who he's got this theory that it's almost like um, there's multiple dimensions layered on top of one another, but the human mind can only perceive like one layer at a time. So he invents this machine called the resonator that when you turn it on, there's these tuning forks that resonate at a certain frequency that will stimulate the pineal gland in the brain. Mm -hmm. And then when that gland is stimulated at this certain frequency, it's like it allows your eyes and your mind to perceive like colors that normally your eye can't see and essentially allows you to see this other universe that exists on top of our own at all times, but which we can never see or touch or interact with because our mind isn't usually open to it, Mm -hmm. which is a fucking crazy idea for a writer to come up with in like 1930. Oh, totally. (laughs) But, uh, I love that idea. Like, you know, reanimator is a great, you know, fun movie about like bringing people back from the dead, but like the sci-fi nerd in me, like, this idea oh, yeah. opens up so many interesting doors. Yeah, like Reanimator, it's almost like more like a medical horror where this is more sci-fi horror. Yeah, this is just like straight up, they came up with like this crazy idea because like, you know, nowadays everybody knows about the concept of the multiverse thanks to stuff like the Avengers movies. And, you know, uh-huh. there's always been the idea of like alternate dimensions or other universes out there, but just the idea of, there is this other landscape of creatures and things around us at all time, but we can't see or touch them because our mind hasn't been altered. <laughs> right. And then the scientist creates a machine that he becomes addicted to using it and it basically drives him insane. And then, you know, when they turn on the machine, it's coming. Like, <laughs> what is it? Where is it coming from? What does it want? It's just mm-hmm. a cool, I mean, H.P. Lovecraft, you know, he's known for creating, like, the elder gods, like Cthulhu, and um, I thought this was interesting. Like, I always kind of understood this, but I had never really seen it put into words before, but uh, a lot of his works were based on the idea of cosmicism, which Mm -hmm. is, which states that humanity is an insignificant part of the cosmos and could be swept away at any moment. Accurate. And I just, like... That is such a cool idea to me, mm-hmm. and this way more than the reanimator because it deals with alternate dimensions and unknowable evils and things. It's just like when I get into a story like this, my mind just starts firing like on all cylinders, and 
this is the kind of shit that I really love to you know like nerd out about and just think mm-hmm. about all the crazy fucking possibilities, right. you know. Right. So I again I love this movie. Uh but you said that you maybe have seen it before, maybe not. So presuming that this was like a first time watch for you, uh what did you think? Uh there there's things I like. It it does not hold up to uh, to like reanimator for me like that experience and that like level probably didn't help or me i don't know that because I, I watched reanimator and then i watched from beyond i just think i love the idea i like the like even just like your quick pitch right there i kind of honestly i might like like a little more than the the final product only because it feels like to me the the payoff in this is like just lacking for me i guess like i'm not this this gets into more of like the uh like fetish horror stuff of course <laughs> i would like just like really isn't my jam you know like going back to hellraiser and everything but like you know of course it's like for me it's like it's enough to be a crazy scientist with building this machine but then of course he's got his like SM dungeon and all that and it's just like yeah it's just it's just it's not a lane i like to go down I love that kind of stuff in a movie like this because it's like they take the angle. Apparently, it's true that the pineal gland in reality like regulates the sex drive. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. so whether or not H.P. Lovecraft knew that when he wrote about a machine that affects <laughs> right. the pineal gland, when right. Stuart Gordon and Brian Yuzna and Dennis right. Paoli realized that they were like, well, we've got to play around with this. The right. idea that like, yeah. you know. They're stimulating this gland so that they can see this other dimension, but also a side effect is that it's like making their sex drive go crazy. And so this scientist who's like experimenting with visiting other worlds, he's also just sex crazed and he's like fucked up in the head. So now he's like, you know, bringing women over to the house and like having these weird S&M parties with them and things like that. Like the more depraved and deranged it gets, it's like the more... I find it interesting because it's just taking it further into these taboos. (laughs) And it's like, I already love alternate dimensions and slimy Mm -hmm. monsters. But then when you add like, I don't know, this guy, it's like, there's this disgusting, unknowable creature and he wants to fuck it. Like, it's so strange. (laughs) Oh, that is where we differ, old friend. Yeah, it's just, it's just like in the fly where uh, it's like, you know, Seth Brundle accidentally turns himself into this horrible creature and then Gina Davis's character is having she's had sex with him since he's gone through the uh, the telepods and she starts to have these dreams of like, oh, I'm pregnant. What if it <laughs> yeah, is the, part the fly larva. as well? Yeah. Yeah. Like the fly larva oh. birthing scene. Oh. And then even the idea in the end where he thinks that, OK, maybe if I now go through the telepod with another person, it will fuse us somehow and turn us back into turn me back into a normal human Mm -hmm. and he's thinking about it as like oh this is the most um it's like the most uh personal like it's the closest we could ever be to like become one by going through this machine then we'll be a real family and she's terrified by it but in his head somehow he thinks it makes sense like i love that shit in sci-fi horror (laughs) Just the more fucked up and weird it is, like the more <laughs> off the beaten path, that is the stuff that I love to watch. Uh, that's why Splice fits in so well for you, too. It just gets... <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah. <laughs> when Adrian yeah. Brody ends up fucking his own yeah. creation that was made yeah. out of his DNA. Oh, yeah. 
Yep. <laughs> yes. I, I explicitly remember when I saw Splice in the theater, uh, I was already really enjoying it because it was an interesting science gone wrong creature movie. And then that scene where he has sex with the creature, like, I don't know what this says about me. Like, I'm not, I'm not a person that, like, in my real life has, like, weird sex fantasies involving, like, BDSM or something like that. Like, I'll come out and admit it if you if you want to believe me. That's not my bag. But, like, seeing that in the movie, like, it's happening to somebody else, and I just get to sit back and be like, I love that the writer and director yeah, are going that. here because you so rarely see people go that far oh. in a movie. Spilsy loves that shock and awe. I do. Like, the oh. more weird and unexpected it is, I just, I must have had the biggest smile on my face oh, when Adrian Brody fucked Dren in that movie. Oh. <laughs> Which sounds that's, really weird. Probably well, that's is, a point but. where I'm like, oh man, they had to go there. <laughs> Bill Sylvia, like, yeah. Oh, fist pumping in the theater. It's two peas in a pod. <clears throat> See, oh, I dig shit. that stuff in From Beyond. Oh, I know. I know. That <laughs> and it's can. just an excuse to get Barbara Crampton in like a little leather BDSM outfit, which I'm never going to scoff at. I'm just like, oh. This movie, I was like, of course, of course, he's got the Fifty Shades of Gray room. <laughs> he's up, he's up there. He's the giant, like, misshapen meatball man. <laughs> oh. So you know, with that being said, like that, it it definitely comes down a few pegs for me. Um, <laughs> of course, there there's some you know there's some f- fun special effects stuff. I mean, there's one point where like. Whatever that misshapen mass he's turned into, and he's got like he's like a, like a real long arm shoots out. Mm-hmm. Uh, that like made me laugh. I was like, oh, I was like, that's cool. <laughs> Just kind of when they do that, like, I guess I don't know. I always kind of think of um, maybe it's like Lovecraft or some of this is probably even like related to like Hellboy and stuff, but like. Like those kind of creatures that just like you can't like really make out what it is or it has like a weird silhouette. You don't know like where one part ends and another part starts, you know, mm-hmm. that kind of shit. So and it thinks because, you know, however year or two ago and I read the the script for Mountains of Madness. Yeah, the Remember? one that Guillermo del Toro tried to make. Yeah, and it's like the the creatures in that just sound like the craziest, weirdest looking things. Like, mm-hmm. I do love to see. I mean, I just love so much creature design stuff, anyways. And then, you know, there's some movies I want, just like my my straight up like solid, good looking werewolf. And then other times, I just want the blob or yeah, whatever the hell he is in this thing. You know, what well. I mean? like, I haven't read a ton of actual Lovecraft myself, but from what I understand, the majority of the time when he had these like elder gods or like these crazy creatures in his stories, he oftentimes wouldn't even really describe what they looked like. Mm. And like a lot of it was like if a character saw it, it was just so insane that it it drove them nuts. Like they (laughs) lost the ability to think. Like, (laughs) Yeah, I kind of love that. Yeah, I like that idea too. And like, yeah. you know, not everything needs to be like uh, mutated massive body parts like John Carpenter's The Thing or right. From Beyond, but like in a certain context, I don't know. I think it's really interesting. Like when uh, Pretorius absorbs um, Jeffrey Combs's character Crawford towards the end of the movie, and then like Crawford's consciousness is coming through, and he like literally is ripping like yes. naked out of the giant mutated body of Pretorius and fighting back against him. Like, Mm -hmm. 
I I love that stuff too. <laughs> there, that is it's cool and gross, which is like you know I still enjoy it. like the stuff with the pineal glands coming out of their foreheads. It's just like so nasty in this movie. Yeah, that's just another I thing can't where it's like enjoy it either. So many movies where like there's a character who's like gone insane because of like a creature is taking over their mind or something, but this one they have that little fucking pineal stalk that comes out oh. and is waving around and. It's just, I I don't know. That's one of the things I think I love about Stuart Gordon's movies so much is he just fucking goes for it. Like there's no part of him that is like, maybe I should hold back because it might be more, you know, popular or acceptable by the mainstream or it'll be easier or cheaper to do it this way. Even Mm -hmm. Robot Jocks, you know, has none of that like weird gross horror stuff, but just going full on with miniatures in these like giant robot battle fight scenes and stuff and all the forced perspective and and everything. It's just, Uh he's like fearless and whatever idea he has in his head, he's going to try and make it happen. Yeah, totally. No, I get that. So like right down to like Castle Freak, there's some weird kind of, you know, off-putting like, you know, sexual stuff in that movie too, where there's like this mutated freak in the basement and he's like biting someone's nipple off and (laughs) like, (laughs) again, to like, to know that there's a person out there who gave us the, that movie and reanimator and from beyond and how twisted and weird they are. And then to see him in an interview and hear how soft-spoken and like, intelligent he is it's just a, a hilarious dichotomy yeah and that makes me love also the guy. <laughs> also to thank for honey i shrunk the kids yeah exactly right like, like someone at disney saw movie. the reanimator and was like give that man an office <laughs> <laughs> like so much so that i mean i think he had the office for a long time because it wasn't until 2001 that dagon came out and on the Blu-ray for Dagon, he tells a little story about how, uh, since that's where his office was, even though they shot that film in Spain, he was watching like a rough cut of it in like one of the like in-house theaters at Disney oh. and, uh, Roy Disney or whatever, like whoever was in charge, like the, you know, um, mm-hmm. The nephew Disney. or whatever of Walt Disney or the son, like walked into the theater and Stuart Gordon was mortified, like, oh my God, he's going to fire me and throw me out of here. But then apparently Roy Disney like really enjoyed the movie and told him how good it was. Nice. <laughs> but uh, yeah, it's just funny to imagine that Dagon played in one of the private oh, theaters at, at Disney <laughs> Studios. Oh. But. Donculus. Yeah. Um, one, of the, one of my favorite scenes, you mentioned earlier that uh, – we used to do annual like uh, sketch card drawings every mm-hmm. uh, October on our uh, blog. And um, one of the first ones I ever did was from beyond. And I did the scene of uh, Jeffrey Combs with the pineal gland sticking out of his head, uh, sucking the eyeball out of uh, Stuart Gordon's wife, Carolyn Purdy Gordon. So gross. That's one of my favorite scenes in the movie, just because it's kind of like the, the head giving head scene in the reanimator. It's just like, I've never seen that before. I didn't mm-hmm. expect him to go there. It's like, he wants to eat her brain. So what's he going to do? He sucks her eyeball out, spits it on uh, the floor, and then just dives in and starts sucking yeah. her brain through her eye socket. Yeah, it's like it's like one of those scenes is like, you're not going to mistake that for something else from a different movie. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But that was one of the scenes. So I thankfully didn't see from beyond until after... Like for years, that was one of the scenes that the MPAA made them cut from the movie. Like they severely, oh, really? ed- they severely edited it oh, no. and um, like it's still in there, but it's like not what it is. 
Mm-hmm. And um, there were a couple other parts in the movie as well. And Stuart Gordon for years was trying to do like a director's cut of the film and put that stuff back in there, but was told that all the elements had been thrown away. And then uh, I think sometime in the mid 2000s, uh, MGM decided to do like a new DVD or Blu-ray and found that stuff uh-huh. and he was able to put it back in. So thankfully I have only ever seen like the full uncut version, which oh, is really? pretty much the only version you're going to see nowadays. Oh, so is that like I watched it on Tubi? So did I see that version? I'm sure you did. Like you saw him suck her eyeball out and spit it onto the floor. I actually don't remember the spitting on the floor, but it definitely was that scene that like what you drew in your sketch card, but. So yeah. you're saying that was out of it completely, the original cut? I, I I don't know exactly what was different, but I know that it was less than what is on the Blu-ray copy that I own from Shout mm. Factory. Mm-hmm. So my guess would be that like in the scene he he grabs her, he puts his mouth on her eye, and he like then he sucks her eyeball out and spits it onto the floor and then like goes to suck on her eye socket yeah, I again. Don't, I don't I don't think they do that wasn't in the one I saw. Then Not maybe the... you saw the edited version. I'm thinking yeah. they cut out the part where you see him spit her eyeball out. Right. That's what's the, the rest of it's there, but there was no spitting of the eyeball. So yeah, you might have seen the edited version. Mm, dang. <laughs> I'll just have to watch it again, Mills. <laughs> yeah, by all means. Mm. But uh, yeah, so like I said, thankfully I've only ever seen that version because I think I I I, I don't remember. I must have like gotten the DVD from Netflix or something. But it was like right. I think I saw it for the first time like a year or two after they put out the uh, the unedited version. Mm-hmm. You own that now, I'm sure. Yeah, yeah. Which, uh, great Blu-ray, um, has some good special features and stuff on it. And, uh, you know, I love, if you're a collector of physical media, uh, some companies do reversible artwork. Mm-hmm. Where it's like they'll have the classic box art or poster, and then on the other side, they'll have, like, some custom stuff that they had done for their release. The one mark against it is I fucking hate the new custom art that they that Shout Factory commissioned for From Beyond. And I've never been a huge fan, not to get ahead of ourselves, but of the From Beyond poster. It's like just not super interesting to me. But I flipped it to have the original poster because I hate the new uh, the new artwork that Shout Factory commissioned for the Blu-ray. And it, yeah, it's got like these like uh, like bright tentacle things along the bottom. Yeah, it just looks like a crappy drawing. Like it doesn't. Yeah, it doesn't feel like a poster. It's pretty lousy. Yeah. That's the only bad thing I have to say about it, though. Otherwise, it's a great disc. Oh. All right. So, I like it. I think I mentioned already in passing that this film was uh, filmed in Italy. Uh, or no, I said that uh, Dagon was filmed Dagon in Spain. Dagon was Spain. Yeah, so this one was filmed in Italy because uh, Stuart Gordon said it was probably one-fourth of the cost to film there than it would have been if they did in the U.S. Damn. Uh, so they filmed on a, sounds, a soundstage called Dincata which was originally constructed by producer Dino De Laurentiis, mm-hmm. who produced an absolute fuckload of movies in oh, his yeah. career. But I feel like he's seen his name thousands of times. Yeah, of note to our show, he was the producer of Barbarella. Oh. <laughs> but uh, his, so his soundstage that he had built in Italy was seized by the government after he uh, didn't pay his taxes on it. <laughs> Of course it was. And so then Empire Pictures bought it on the cheap, and uh, they used it to film a lot of, like, cheaper 
horror movies and things and like genre films in Italy over the years. And I think that I read that from beyond was the first movie to film there for empire, mm-hmm. but, uh, you'd never know. I mean, some of the later films, like the stuff that Brian Yuzna produced in Spain and stu- including Dagon, like you can tell, I mean, that movie takes place in Spain, so it doesn't feel out of place for there to be like Spanish speaking actors with accents and things. But like, right. if you watch beyond reanimator, I don't remember. It's been a while since I've watched that when it takes place in a prison. I don't remember if it's supposed to be like a Spanish prison, but <laughs> it's obvious that they dubbed a lot of actors who oh, had really? like thick accents and things. And it's really kind of cheap looking uh-huh. uh, because Brian Yuzna had a deal with a uh, Spanish film company. <laughs> but uh, this movie, like I would have never known that like, yeah, you can tell that the the house is built on a soundstage, but I would have never known that it was like an Italian production. Yeah. Well, it's like, I think when they first in like the scene that you're seeing where like the neighbor lady shows up mm-hmm. and it's like the, the fence out front and you can immediately be like, what the fuck is going on here? Cause I'm like, Oh, that what's going to happen to this house? Cause I know if they just like reconstructed <laughs> it out of balsa wood, <laughs> this whole thing, this whole thing blowing up in the end. Like what's about yeah. to happen? It's funny, out of all the crazy things that happen in the movie, I think the one thing that I don't fully understand is where in the hell did Barbara Crampton get like uh, like a movie bomb, like sticks of dynamite <laughs> with a timer on it? They don't, they don't ever say, right? No, she just shows up with it. A movie bomb. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, no bomb in real life looks like that, right? No, it's only in the movies. Unless he had that, unless he had that in his sex room. I mean, for some reason, go, yeah, but, yeah, girl, I got dynamite too. I can't imagine there's a lot of dynamite in the average sex room, but I don't know what that guy was into. Maybe he needed Is... the nitroglycerin for something. <laughs> oh God! <laughs> <laughs> gotta gotta give some props oh. to uh, Ken Foray, who is a blast in this movie as uh, Bubba Brownlee. Uh, yeah, former football yeah, player, now cop. I'm trying to think of what else I've seen him in. Dawn of the Dead would be the big one. Ah, okay. All right. I knew it was something big that I couldn't quite. Yeah. He's known for Dawn of the Dead. He's been in a ton of other stuff. He's in like the uh, Rob Zombie remake of Halloween. I've only seen the original Dawn of the Dead like once, but it's got to be that. That movie is largely like three or four characters in a mall, and he's one of them. And he's like a really kind of big personality in general, but in that movie too. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Uh, he's in some other Romero stuff like Night Riders. He was in the third Texas Chainsaw Massacre. Um, a billion things over the years. He worked mm-hmm. with uh, Stuart Gordon. Well, he kind of like tangentially worked with Stuart Gordon again because Gordon and Brian Yesner wrote the movie The Dentist and he was in that. Okay. But um, yeah, he's been in a, a ton of stuff mm-hmm. and he's nice. just a lot of fun in this. Um, yeah. Running around in his underwear. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, no shame that man. And I mean, not that he should have any shame because he was in shape, but Mm -hmm. he just brings like a lot of humor to the movie, which I love. Uh, His character is just like a lot of fun. Um, He's kind of the like the every man who, you know. Jeffrey Combs's character knows what's going on with this machine and has kind of been driven insane by it. And uh, Barbara Crampton's character is the one who like, is now has kind of gotten the science bug and wants to test the machine and she kind of gets influenced by it. But he's just the down to earth, like what we need to do is get the fuck out of here. <laughs> right. He's like, the every, yeah, like you said, he's like the every man. It's like, what is going on? Yeah. What has happened here? So I love him in this. Uh, the three of them are great together. I actually think the movie goes downhill slightly after he's out of it, but, uh, 
I mean, that's a great scene when he gets melted by bees or whatever. Yeah, it's so gross looking. I don't know oh, what that gross. effect was, but oh, <laughs> it's disgusting. It's yeah, when he's like a melted pile. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, it's gross. Yeah. Yeah, I feel like um, I was at no point I was ever just like, oh, screw this movie, it's trash or anything. But it's just like I wasn't totally feeling it, especially coming off of watch, rewatching Reanimator. Mm-hmm. But yeah, like when he when he's gone, it's kind of like. Yeah, this definitely feels like there's something missing. Yeah. I can't remember, like, I don't know, they do some, like, they have to in this one do some, it's not necessarily CGI or whatever it is, but with, like, more of, like, the floaty, the eel stuff, and then there's yeah. one, like, there's one, like, real outrageous thing with that bird thing that, like, <laughs> yeah. comes out the stairs at a coves, like. Yeah, there's some, like, optical effects and things yeah, in there, but, no. uh. I like the look of it, um, kind of the way that Reanimator has that. Uh, it, like visually, it has that bright neon green reagent. Mm-hmm. That's like it's kind of you think of that movie and you think of that. I do love that they picked another visual, like a distinct visual style with this one, where whenever the machine yeah. is on, everything is like purple and pink, pink lights, and purple and some blues and stuff. Which we were, me and you, are were just talking about that recently, but. Yeah, those neon collars do look great in this. Mm-hmm. But yeah, it's uh, you know, it it feels like it spins its wheels a little bit more in the second half. There's a little bit of this feeling of like, well, they did have to make up a story uh, that would like stay in the house because it's just like the machine keeps getting turned on <laughs> over and over <laughs> again. Mm-hmm. But uh, yeah, I in general, I I think that the first half of the movie is stronger than the second half. Just because of like all the, the the teasing and the promise of like the concept and what this machine can do, and then uh-huh. in the second half it's just like, all right, we need to keep having excuses to turn it on. But I, right. it's another one where it's like ninety five minutes long or something like that, yeah. and it 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 doesn't overstay its welcome. And you no, know, before nice. you know it, Barbara Crampton's jumping out the second, like the third floor window, and there's an explosion. Uh-huh. She lands on the ground, her fucking leg is broken with a bone hanging out, and yeah. then it's just like credits. <laughs> I actually love this ending, and I love the Reanimator ending too, which just are like are good horror endings. Mm-hmm. I mean, Reanimator definitely sets up a sequel, but it's like still, it's not a happy ending. And this one, especially, she's basically like has jumped out of a third story window. Uh, she's near crippled, and then just she's got the perfect like laugh cry scream <laughs> thing that she does yeah. she's clearly nuts and then yeah fade to black i was like oh it's so good i mean man i just i keep realizing that there's all these similarities the more we talk about them but again like i said before potentially the best example of a science gone wrong movie is the fly and one of my absolute favorite things about that movie is that once it's over it's over mm-hmm. gina davis yep. shoots uh the brundle fly in the head collapses to the ground crying the music swells and it cuts to credits so and good. Reanimator, it's like you have this big crazy ending, and then there's like one final scene with Dan deciding to revive Megan, who has mm-hmm. just died, even though he knows it's not going to go well. Right, right. And then, yeah, this movie, it's like giant explosion. She falls out the window. She like screams like insanely, and then the movie ends. Oh, so good. Yeah, just uh, yeah, loved it. Loved that last yeah. bit of that ending. Mm-hmm. I was like, oh, yeah, this fucking house is going to explode. I knew it. I knew it was going <laughs> to blow up this whole model. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, the only thing that I think could have made it better for me is if um, if they had brought back uh, David Gale to play Pretorius in this. I 
thought the same thing. I was like, <laughs> I was hoping, I think I might even thought it was for whatever reason. I thought he was in this too. Mm-hmm. And it, when it wasn't him, I was like, God oh, damn. No, the guy that plays might as well have been him, but the guy that plays Dr. Pretorius is an actor named Ted Sorrell. Uh, he was actually in Network, which we talked about long ago for this oh, show. I don't remember who he was. He might have even just been a tiny part, but I saw that in his credits. Mm-hmm. And he's in Basket Case 2. But, <laughs> oh, your, your favorite Basket Case. <laughs> I don't know if I'd say that. <laughs> Tough to top that first one. Hmm. Yeah, like he's he's good. Uh, he's got like a weird hair yeah. pattern on his yeah. chest. <laughs> mm-hmm. It's yeah, like the not... noteworthy thing about him, I think. He's got a good voice. But, yeah. Um, Great name, Dr. Pretorius. Yeah. Uh, which actually, Dr. Pretorius is not in the original seven-page short story. It's uh, Crawford Tillinghast is the character that um, Jeffrey Combs plays. And uh-huh. he's like the mad scientist in the original story. Oh, really? But uh, in Frankenstein lore, Dr. Pretorius was like the person who taught Franken- Dr. Frankenstein like medical science or whatever. So they decided to do that as an homage mm-hmm. to him and... I like that. Make Dr. Pretorius. That's just a cool name. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's just a good name. Yeah. I could dig it. From Beyond. I also absolutely love that movie. Like, I think Reanimator, just slightly more iconic. Mm-hmm. But I love both of them. And I love you for it. <laughs> All right. Third and final film. Please. Uh, jumping ahead. God, is it 15 years from uh, From Beyond? We have Dagon. Pretty much. 2001. Well, why? Why did they kill my friend? They, they, his face. They kill you. They kill your face. There was a woman on the boat. She, she, them. Two women, them. Two women? See. One from both. One come with you to Iglesia. The woman who came with me to the church, she's dead? See, They killed. How do you know? Are you sure? I see them kill. The women. They die. Like I said, this is the movie that uh, Stuart Gordon wanted to make as his follow-up to Reanimator because he's always loved this story. There is a short story by H.P. Lovecraft called Dagon, Mm -hmm. but this movie is not based on that story. It's based on a longer story called The Shadow Over Innsmouth. Oh, okay. But Dagon's a better name. Uh, yeah. Uh, a lot of uh, Lovecraft stories involve, like, the the god of Dagon and, like, the fish people and everything like that. So mm-hmm. they just took that name as, like, the simpler name. Mm-hmm. Also, the majority, if not all, of uh, Lovecraft stories took place in, like, a fictional town in New England because that's where he was from and that's where he lived. Right. Okay. Yeah, so basically uh, he wanted to make this movie and they had a script and for like 15 years they would uh, 
people would say like, oh, what do you want to do? He'd show them the script and they'd be like, oh, people turning into fish. We're not into this idea. Like explicitly, I think um, when they showed it to Charles Band, he was like, yeah, people turn into werewolves that I feel like I could sell. But people turning into fish, I don't know. (laughs) So like it was a passion project. They wanted to make it. They wanted to make it. It started to seem like it was never going to happen. Mm-hmm. And then in like the late nineties, uh, Brian Yuzna made a deal, like a, he got a seven picture deal with a company called, I think it's called like Filmax or something like that, which is a, uh, it was a Spanish production company, uh, that it had just like started up and wanted to focus on doing genre films, horror movies and sci-fi and stuff like that. Um, so one of the movies he did with them was beyond reanimator. Uh, he did like I say, seven films with them. And basically it seemed like they were open to pretty much anything. So he called up Stuart Gordon and was like, Hey, come down here to Spain and, uh, you know, <laughs> we'll have a look around. These people would probably make Dagon. So even though it should have taken place and like was written to take place in like this, uh, kind of foggy new England town, mm-hmm. they found the place that the movie takes place in. Uh, it's like a real location, the seaside village, And they were like, well, this is kind of perfect. We can just adapt it a little bit. And even the name of the town, I forget how, what it is in the film is like, uh, the word, the Spanish word for mouth. And then they added in before it. So it's like Innsmouth, but Mm, it's in, and then the Spanish word for mouth, that's how Innsmouth is spelled. And yeah, so that's how, that's how this movie got made was just, they had to, Changed the location to Spain, but finally they got to make the movie that they wanted to make. Right. Fair enough. This one's kind of simple. It's uh, some people, four people, two couples on a vacation. Uh, They're kind of like sailing around. Uh, This storm hits and um, two of them go to shore to try and find help. And as soon as they get into the town, it's like, you know, he doesn't, the main character doesn't speak the language Mm -hmm. and um, they get separated And then very quickly they realize something's going on in this town. There's like weird freak people with like fucked up hands and things. And (laughs) this priest got a webbed hand. (laughs) Yeah. And basically you find out that um, the village at some point, they started to worship this God from the sea called Dagon. And uh, when they replaced all the fish that had gone. Yeah, the the area, basically. Yeah, so basically when they started worshipping this god and making sacrifices and things, like they got wealth, like gold was washing up on shore and Mm -hmm. uh, the seas were like repopulated with fish so that they could, you know, they could fish and eat and and make money again. And uh, now these people are trapped in this town where they're like, they want to sacrifice them. And there's this like uh, prominent uh, young woman who is like half squid and she has decided that... (laughs) She wants the uh, the male lead to be like her squid prince or something. Yeah. I don't. I don't really know. Some, some manner of concubine action. Yeah, just yeah. He's been dreaming about her too. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you eventually find out that uh, her father, the squid girl, who was like the original guy that like brought Dagon to the town and like convinced everybody to start worshiping Dagon. Mm-hmm. Uh, they say that like. When he was younger and more attractive, he like went out into the world and brought all these single women back to the town and like, 
you know, had his way with them and then sent them on their way. So out in the world, there's all of these like babies that are his. And Mm -hmm. this guy happens to be one of them who like has been having dreams when he got back into the Mm -hmm. area of the town and everything. And so there's even like a weird incest angle because he's the guy's son and the daughter of that dude. Same dude Mm -hmm. is the one who wants to like make him her husband or... (laughs) bit of a trope thing too it's even like um is that like the devil's advocate aren't they like siblings too that he's trying to get them together to birth yeah. the antichrist I, I think that is the case yeah they find out that it's they're basically related the same same thing i don't i can't remember if in dagon it's basically like if they get together they'll bring about more dagon or whatever it is but yeah i just know that she wants him for her mm-hmm. her bow like, yeah he's been <laughs> dreaming about her and yeah. When he finally meets her, I think it's a great scene where he pulls off the covers and she's got squid legs. I mean, <laughs> yeah. there's some great practical squid legs going. <laughs> yeah, so when I first saw this movie, I remember not being a huge fan of it. Mm-hmm. It definitely feels and looks cheaper than Stuart Gordon's other films. Mm-hmm. It's more ambitious, I think, with the amount of like effects and like the shot of the giant sea god which is like a cg creation that you see momentarily when it comes up out of that well or whatever right i remembered like in my mind's eye the film having a lot more bad cg than it actually does there is a lot more practical stuff in the movie than i remembered it's funny you say that yes i agree completely like when i watched this for the first time i was kind of like let down i was like oh and i think i was just like really focusing on the the cg that's in there is bad when you think of like 2001 cg for a low budget movie Mm -hmm. i like definitely enjoyed myself more watching it the second time i mean the cvg is still bad but there's actually a lot of practical effects Mm mm-hmm and something interesting that I learned from the uh, special features is that uh, the special effects were done by a Spanish dude named David Marty, mm-hmm. who went on to do the special makeup effects for Guillermo del Toro for Pan's Labyrinth. Oh, nice. Yeah. So this yeah, guy I... maybe didn't have the budget or the experience to do that level stuff yet, but like, mm-hmm. obviously he's a skilled artist. Yeah, he really is. Like there's... um. It's like one of those things, too, because I remember there's like an early scene where like the guy's having a vision of the squid leg girl. Mm-hmm. And like it's almost like a jump scare where it's like she looks like she's got like really like creepy teeth or whatever. Mm-hmm. It looks pretty good. And then later on, he has it again, but they give her like CG tentacles coming out of her mouth that looks just horrible. <laughs> yeah. That I was like, why did they even bother with that? Just keep, you could just done the crazy shark teeth again. That would have been fine. But. Mm-hmm. You know, sometimes, you know, back then, I'm sure they thought that was the best looking thing in the world, you know, going yeah. back 20 years, which is uh, in hindsight. But like even when the when Dagon comes up out of the water for that very brief moment mm-hmm. and pulls the female lead down into the water. Yep. I kind of wish that instead of it being a down shot that like showed him in his full glory, yes. quote unquote, yep. that it was like more on the surface of the well and you just saw like tentacles or a hand come up and grab her or something yeah i'm with you on that like it's really a blink and you missed it kind of thing too yeah um but it's bad for that but moment it's that bad it's on screen. the design of it it's it's almost so bad you can't make out what exactly what he looks like but for a second i was like can almost tell like maybe some kind of head that they're trying to give him that might have been cool but the cg is just so bad that it 
it's like forget it. Yeah. Um. That being said, with the the climax, I'm like kind of if it was just that, it'd be okay. But then like Squid Girl ends up, you know, crawling on her squid legs and jumping in the. Yeah, I mean, I didn't think that looked that like that didn't look as bad as Dagon himself. No, but just that it had like the one two punch of two of them, the yeah. two things. Like I didn't need to see her crawl on those anyways, and it's just mm-hmm. I was just like, damn. I was like, if there's and especially like being the second time, like there's like some cool, real cool practical effects. Like there's a lot of fish people in this, and like mm-hmm. varying levels of fish. Yeah, I just love that a person will just kind of look like a hobo with like tons of layers on hunched over, but then mm-hmm. you see their exposed hands and they have like weird dangly yeah. fingers and stuff. Right, or like little pustules or like got like a weird wonky eye that's just like mm-hmm. bulbous. And there's like a bunch of that and I really I really like all that stuff. And then the uh the main creature like the one that's in charge of them all when you see his face at the end, he's cool looking. Yeah, oh yeah. He's cool. Um the biggest thing, which I forgot from the first time I watched it, but the second time I was like taken aback. Like when they skin the guy alive. Oh, and they pull his face off. Oh, dude. Yeah. I mean, that looked awesome. It yeah. was like completely unsettling because it like, sh- like, you know, this is the character that they use to like introduce you to like the backstory, which is also crazy in this movie because he like barely speaks English and the version I saw, there's no subtitles. So yeah. I'm like, I'm, I'm Sometimes catching. it's hard to tell what he's saying. It's very hard to tell what he's saying, but then you're like, oh, well, he's along for the ride. And then they, they, they flout, just skin this guy alive and peel his face back. Yeah. And it looks good. Back. Well, it looks amazing. Yeah. I thought it was interesting. That actor, the movie is actually dedicated to him. Okay. Uh, his name is Francisco Rabal. And he was like a big get in Spain because he's like a you know time honored beloved actor in over like oh, two hundred yeah? movies in oh, Spain. Oh, I love it. This might be the only like <laughs> they American. Skinned him alive. <laughs> this might be the only like American or English language movie he ever oh, did. Uh-huh. When I was like looking over his uh, IMDb list, like when um oh what's his name John Frankenheimer when he made um. Uh, what's the movie with Popeye Doyle? Uh, the oh boy. the <laughs> it's like uh, the French Connection. <laughs> when he made the French Connection, uh, he this was an anecdote that I read. He uh, said to his producers, "Like, uh, get me." He didn't know Francisco Rabal's name, but he had seen him in some Spanish movies, and he was like, "Get me that guy to be my villain." And then the producers didn't know exactly who he was talking about, so they got an actor they thought that he meant. And then mm-hmm. they ended up using that other guy for uh, the French connection because they, when they realized it was the wrong dude, they also found out that Francisco Rabal couldn't speak English. So mm. they just didn't go with him. But then he obviously could speak English by the time he did uh, Dagon. But mm-hmm. yeah, like you said, he's like very gravelly and like a very thick accent. So it's kind of hard to hear him sometimes. And uh, I love it. Brian Yesner's like, oh, we're going to make your big screen. American debut. <laughs> well, him alive. So apparently, um, Stuart Gordon was surprised that he agreed to do the movie until he learned that Francisco Rabal is of H.P. Lovecraft fan. So that's why he wanted to do oh, it. Oh, okay. And nice. this was either his final film or one of his final films, and he died before it came out. So they, uh, oh. they uh, put his name at the end of the Man. credits there. Jeez, that scene. Oof. Yeah. But yeah, so there's like a bunch of you know, there's like some. The fish people like 
clawing around on, uh, you know, they got their crutches and they got like tentacle legs or whatever. Mm-hmm. And I do like love the setting because especially like it's pretty much raining the whole time. And then as like the day goes on, it's like everything is just like wet and gross. And it definitely has like a a really gross vibe to it. Oh yeah. Just from how wet it is, how cold it looks yep. all the time. Like when he uh, when the main character uh Paul is like running from the fish people and he just like runs into this house. It's like the floor is like covered in a foot of water. Oh, yep. And it's just like he gets his head like he like someone tries to drown him in a disgusting toilet and then he's got to fish his <laughs> glasses out of it. It's yeah. just it's one of those movies where it's just constantly gross and the characters are just constantly going through shit. It's like Texas Chainsaw Massacre where yeah. it's just, it's a nonstop assault of like mm-hmm. uncomfortable, like, disgusting sequences oh, yeah. where, I don't know, it didn't work for me when I first saw it. But this time, I think I went in with low expectations because I remembered not liking it and it worked way better for me this time. And if anything, it just has a good atmosphere. Yeah, like... I mean, if you're going to try to come up with, like, what what is, like, a movie Joe Dax would like? It's be like, oh, ancient sea gods and, like, you know, fish mutant people. Like, <laughs> yeah, that's, that's, like, certainly my wheelhouse. Um, yeah, and it, you know what I like, too, is, like, it's almost immediately that everyone knows they've made a bad decision by, like, going to these people for help. Mm-hmm. Like, they don't try to keep up, like, a ruse for very long <laughs> that, you know, she's going to be kidnapped and the whole thing, like. Just people start getting weird, and the priest is gross. Mm-hmm. I just like, yeah, the fish people, and it just got just such like a grimy, just ugh, like oozy vibe to it. It's, you know, yeah. There's always some like lumbering person like in the distance or in like the shadows. You mm-hmm. know, this little weird fish face or whatever's going on. Yeah, they got their like their building full of like they've been skinning people probably for a while to. You know, to eat or whatever. They're like, you know, they got all those like dried out husks in that one building that he torches them. Mm-hmm. I'm just like, oh, it's just, it's just like gross. And fuck that that hotel room that he goes to when he first gets there. Oh, yes. It's just like he pulls back the sheets and there's this weird black stain <laughs> on the sheets. And I think he even says like, ain't going to happen or something like that. Yeah. And, like, he goes in the bathroom and the toilet's disgusting and oh, the shower's disgusting. Yeah. And then he turns on the faucet and green shit comes out of the mm-hmm. sink. And oh, all that. Just, like, like a moldy kind of mildewy vibe. It's just, uh, just like, that makes my skin crawl. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. But it's, but it's like, it's immediate. It's, like, five. It, this movie only, like, looks nice and inviting for maybe, like, 12 minutes. <laughs> and then, like, it's Then the storm comes me. and everything is rainy and gross from then on. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, man, so they found that town that they filmed in and what better location could they have had? Like they were, it's like a real place. It's like old, like kind of mm-hmm. uneven cobblestone streets and oh, these yeah. old buildings that are kind of falling apart. And it's like so yeah. like visually appealing or like just like it works so well for yeah. what they're trying to accomplish in the movie. Yeah, Totally. I mean, another one, short run time, but it's like the whole time he's just, he's like on the run the entire time, just trying to get away from these disgusting fish creatures. Yeah. Only to like, you know, end up in Dagon's well. Mm-hmm. Just with as, gills. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, I know. With his girl getting uh, sacrificed and he torches himself and <laughs> sure enough, he survives. And also, it looks like he falls in love with squid legs and 
They go to holler at their boy Dagon. Yeah, I mean, it seems like they were fated to be together. <laughs> I know. So, you know, it's definitely got like that early 2000 look. It just, it, like you said, it doesn't look good as the stuff from the 80s. You mm-hmm. know, just the way it's shot, like the cinematography isn't great. You know, I feel like a lot of the movies, like the camera's like right on top of people, mm-hmm. you know, like. Which, I mean, maybe that add, could add to, like, a claustrophobic vibe, but sometimes I'm like, yeah, will somebody just pull the camera out a bit, you know? <laughs> yeah. I mean, all in all, I enjoyed it. I, I wasn't expecting anything from it the second time around. I yeah. was just like, I was like, oh, you know, when when does the, all this bad CG come in? Just like you said, like, it was not really as much as I remembered at all. No, I mean, of particular note, it's Dagon at the end. It's Squid Legs at the very end. Um, yep. Oddly enough, the early scene when the boat has wrecked on that rock and they show like the upshot from under the water, that's obviously CG. Yes. Yep. I remember that one. Then like the squid mouth dream thing. Yeah. But uh, admittedly, not a whole lot else aside from that. No, it's actually kind of restrained. And it's, you know, there's a ton of practical effects, Mm -hmm. which is like, you know, always going to be exciting. It's like you said, you've said multiple times, like. You know, if it was me in the 80s, it would have the same cast and how amazing that would be. But yeah, that's that's one thing that like, I guess, you know, filming in Spain and pretty much the entire uh, crew was Spanish. You know, I think the only American actor in it is the lead actor, Ezra Godin, who hasn't been in a ton. But right before this, he was in Band of Brothers, which is like the biggest thing in his resume. Huh. Okay. I mean, just down to the fact that the f- the female lead is a blonde woman, and then the male lead has short black hair and glasses. And oh, totally! It's like they could not get closer to Jeffrey Combs and Barbara Crampton, <laughs> like within the constraints that they had, without actually getting them. Mm-hmm. But I imagine it was just like a you know monetary thing, them being filming in Spain and Barbara Crampton. She might have been out of acting at the time. Like she, you know, she did a lot of her work in like the 80s, early 90s in like horror films and whatnot when she was young and like happy to show off her body and whatnot. Mm-hmm. And then she left acting at some point for the most part and, you know, became a mother and whatnot. And then it wasn't until maybe like within the last decade, like I feel like around the time Your Next came out and she was in that, it's like she kind of discovered, oh, there's like this big fan base for me and actors still want to work with me. And now she's oh, in a sh- ton of genre stuff again, which she's is great. She's in your next? Yeah. Is that the one with like the... It's like the, the people uh, with the animal masks. Yeah, it's like yeah, a yeah. Uh, home invasion kind of thing. Yeah. She's like the... Party or whatever. She's like the mother, like the... Oh, uh, no shit. Yeah. But she's in that. She's in... Uh, she recently had a movie come out where she plays a vampire called Jacob's Wife that I've been wanting to see... Uh, she's in a ton of genre stuff all of a sudden these days. Cool. Good for her. She's in another, like, a ghost movie. I think it's called We Are Still Here or something like that that was okay. But, yeah, she's she's kind of back in a big way. And I actually nice. just saw on her Instagram recently that she is filming or just finished filming something with Jeffrey Combs again. So I'm curious about that. Yeah. Good for her. Yeah. <laughs> Horror film royalty. <laughs> But uh, yeah, so all told, uh, you know, I, I, not that I was dreading it. I mean, I, I own the movie. I like Stuart right. Gordon enough that I always knew I'd go back to this eventually. But I'm happy to mm-hmm. say that uh, with 
lowered expectations. This movie definitely worked for me better yeah. than uh, it did the first time around. Like I, I could take more old, uh, unknowable sea gods. You know. Yeah, it's just a, it's just a shame that like this was a passion project for all those years. It's great that he finally got to make it, mm-hmm. but there were all of these like you know cuts and things that he had to do. Like I don't know specifically yeah. what was in the script, but. In the interview that I saw, I think uh, Mick Garris interviews him on the uh, the Blu-ray, and he talks about how there were several sequences they had to remove from the script because they just didn't have the budget for them. Mm. And it's just like, you know, Guillermo del Toro got so close to making it the Mountains of Madness with oh. uh, Tom Cruise with a huge budget, and they just couldn't agree over the rating. And it's like, how great would it have been to finally see a big budget adaptation oh. of H.P. Lovecraft and see what somebody who's really passionate about the material could have done? Like, hurts. you know, the budget for Dagon was $4.2 million from what I saw. Like, if, you know, back in the 80s or the 90s or the early 2000s, someone would have given uh, Stuart Gordon, like, $15 million, like... Yeah, right. What could a Stuart Gordon Dagon movie have looked like? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And it's like cool that we got this version, but it's just a shame that it's like when yeah. it comes to this stuff, it's like seems so hard for even like, you know, Academy Award winning director Guillermo del Toro to get like his vision True. of HP Lovecraft off the ground. Yeah, totally. But oh. we'll never know, Mills. Yeah. Well, maybe someday, uh, but oh. Fingers crossed. Not yet. <laughs> yeah. So, Dagon. Oh, no. Want to talk some posties? Yeah. Uh, so, Reanimator has, like, a classic 80s painted poster, which I absolutely love. It's excellent. I mean, it's perfect, really. Yeah. Reanimator, it will scare you to pieces. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and then, yeah, this is another case where there's two taglines. Uh, Herbert West has a good head on his soldiers uh, shoulders and another one on his desk. That's pretty good. <laughs> mm-hmm. Which is pretty good. I like the, you know, it's probably like like we always say. I could take one, one or the other rather mm-hmm. than both. But yeah, I think I like the uh, the good head on his shoulders and another one on his desk more than it will scare you to pieces. <laughs> oh yeah, I think I'm the opposite. Oh really? <laughs> but but I do like them both. So it's like it's really take it or leave it on either one. It know? will scare you to pieces. Just feels a little more generic. Like you could well, probably say that about a lot of horror movies, and it would work. Yeah. It doesn't tell as much of a tale as the other one, but yeah, I still like it. Goes with the like the humor of the movie and the fact that right there on the poster, he's got uh, David Gale's uh, head on his desk. Mm-hmm. This painting is real good. Mm-hmm. I don't know who did it, but yeah, I'm not sure either. Uh, it's a great painting. the uh, The only thing I would say is that uh, the likeness on Doctor West isn't like. It honestly doesn't look that much like Jeffrey Combs. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's got some weird uplighting, which might have something to do with it. And then um, the, uh, <laughs> I assume that that's supposed to be a vial of reagent that he's holding that's got like the steam emanating from it, but right. it should be brighter green. But aside from that. Yeah. No, it's pretty This is like a classic poster. I love this poster. Yeah. No, it's good. It's a goodie. Yeah. I mentioned earlier that I'm not that big of a fan of the From Beyond poster. Uh, I think it stinks. Yeah. yeah it's, it's like a, you know, of... gross monster face with like some weird, like a, what, what would you call that effect? It's like a smoky kind of. Yeah. It's like a, a blur effect or something. Yeah. it's. I don't know what they're going for, but 
it's just it's just unappealing. Mm-hmm. You know, it's not it's not it just feels like they grabbed any photo that they thought would be shocking and stuck it on. Yeah. You know, didn't didn't center it or anything. They just put it on like a copy a copier bed and as it was being scanned, they just dragged it to make it streaky. <laughs> like Yeah, pretty much. Uh yeah. yeah. So I've never loved this poster. I'll take it over the uh the Blu-ray alternate art, like I said, but Yeah. Some they I think they're both hurting. Mm-hmm. So Humans are such easy prey. Uh, line straight out of the movie. Mm-hmm. You know, it, uh, fine. it's not the best tagline in the world, but uh, at least it yeah. is like from the film. But just like knowing the movie, like I want to see those like bright pinks. You know, I want. Give oh, me for those, sure. Give me, give me a shot of the machine, like you know, mm-hmm. with his creepy meatball in the back and those silhouette. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, like a uh, BDSM uh, Barbara oh, Crampton <laughs> somewhere on there. I mean, anything would be better than this. Mm-hmm. Ken Foray in his football jersey. Yeah, in his underwear. <laughs> yeah. Whatever. And then uh, right. D- Dagon, the one I'm familiar with is not this. Uh, there's a yeah, box that's art. The, it's the box art. That's a, probably the one everyone knows. I've never yeah. seen this one before either. The box art is like a, it's kind of like the From Beyond poster. It's a close-up of a face, but it's got like yellow eyes and big pointy teeth. Also mm-hmm. not a great image, but better than this. I mean, yeah, this, this. This stinks, too. This logo is terrible. This is such like a early 2000s. I think Isn't that what the logo looks like in the film? I don't even remember. I'm pretty sure it is. It's uh, just harsh to look at. It just looks like yeah. bad Photoshop. And then it's, I could assume this is like some kind of piranha mouth. Yeah, it's or like. something. Like the big fish mouth, okay, but then there's like it almost looks like a tie dye or like uh, what are those? Yeah. What were those things called? It was like a toy where like you'd put paint on like it and the sp- pinwheel, spin it, yeah. Mm-hmm. And like okay, even with all of that, what about this movie made made these people think that the poster should be like bright neon blue and teal? Yeah, nothing. It just visually does not go with the movie at all. <laughs> It really doesn't. Just I could think of so many better, so many better posters than this. Yeah, it's uh, I don't know. It's a very very strange yeah, decision. It's a drag, Millsy baby, break it down for the people. I mean, Reanimator's like a classic. It's a great painting. Uh, it's just it's a visual that I've seen a billion times and I'm a big fan of. So mm-hmm. personally, I'm going to give this one uh, five. Severed zombie body parts. Nice. I I concur, Doctor. Two legs, two arms, and a head, perhaps. Oh. All right. From beyond it like so let's look at Dagon. <laughs> so Dagon, it's just like I don't get how or why they came to this design. Even mm. if it was this design, but the colors were more like kind of sepia or something to match the movie, I could mm-hmm. kind of understand, but Dagon just makes no sense to me. It's going to get a one. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's just like one bulbous fish eye. <laughs> yes. Like it's you. just, it's not just like a bad image. It's just like confounding how they even came right. to the decision that like, yeah, that's the one we're going to go with. Like so someone described it, described the movie to an intern and told them <laughs> they had the after the afternoon to make a poster. Yeah. Uh, from beyond I did dig on first to say that from beyond isn't that bad. Like at least it's an image of a character in the movie. Uh, it's not appealing. It's not a good design, 
but in contrast to Dagon, I'm going to give it a two. I'll give it two of the tuning forks atop the resonator. Nice. Grading it on a curve. Yeah, I mean, you know, it's, I don't know. I don't think it's as bad as Dagon. Dagon is bad and confounding. (laughs) Right. From Beyond is is just like a poor. Yeah, at least. Poor design. At least From Beyond is something from the movie. Yeah. I can dig it. But I can dig it, Mills. Never never been a fan of it personally, so fair. Fair and balanced. Yeah. Here we go. Here we go. Uh I feel like I've been showing my hand the entire episode, so I'll just go ahead and say mm. uh potentially top ten movies of all time, Reanimator is my buy. Mm-hmm. I also absolutely love From Beyond, and it's only slightly lesser than Reanimator in my eyes, so that's my borrow. Mm. And then Dagon definitely liked it more this time than the first time, but it is definitely the weakest link of the three. So that's my burn. That said, I own all three of them. So fair. I like it. Quick and that's easy very, for me. I mean, <laughs> that's very Millsy of you. Yeah. Um, Reanimator. That's my buy all day. I mean, that movie's great. <laughs> it's like, if it's like, as what we described, I would hope it would be like, if you're looking for that kind of like, 80s kind of comedy-ish gross horror like like you know there's plenty of examples and reanimator is right up there with the best of them yeah like, and i feel like from beyond it's like in that similar kind of gross 80s ballpark i feel like it would be kind of difficult to get like someone who's not typically into the genre to watch and accept and enjoy from beyond like that one's a little more for the hardcore horror fans i oh, think big time. but Reanimator, I think, because of the level of humor and silliness along with like the the horror stuff, and it's you know it's technically just zombies for the most part. It's not like unknowable masses of flesh from another dimension. <laughs> right. totally. I think that Reanimator, for what it is and how weird it is, it is also pretty mainstream for this subgenre. So, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah, I definitely think that like the average person could be convinced to at least watch and enjoy this movie, though it may not be their favorite thing they've ever seen. Right. I agree completely. Um, yeah. So easy buy for me comes down to the other two from beyond and Dagon with both. There's things I like and things I dislike. Like ultimately it kind of just boils down to like, what's more my jam. And I think that's Dagon is my borrow. Mm. You know, there's some, the sketchy, sketchy CGI was will always bother me. Didn't bother me as much this time around because it's not that much of it. And I could just see myself watching that again to even just get the the practical vibe, just the the creepy, always dripping wet, gross town, and just and honestly, that when I think of like wild horror shit I've seen, like this has a a guy being skinned alive and it looks amazing, <laughs> like. Like, it gets, like, a lot of kudos from me for that scene alone. Because, like, how unsettling the entire movie is in, like, varying levels. And then when it gets to that and it's, like, almost a character, like, you're pulling for. And, like, oh, I like this old this old creep that told me a story. And now, now he's getting skinned alive. It's just like, oh, my God, this movie. <laughs> I mean, it takes some hits in the end with that the CGI stuff I don't really care for. But, like, ultimately, I like I like this movie now where I kind of, like, written it off. Mm-hmm. And I think I was just probably being just, like, getting too in my head about the CG before. I don't hate From Beyond. I'm not. I'm certainly not tossing it into the sun. But 
Um, it goes just... in your shame drawer alongside Hellraiser. <laughs> yeah, it's just like I don't know. I've 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 uh, I've set a precedent for that kind of stuff, and it just it just doesn't. It is not not my jam. So that's how I'm going, Millsy baby. Fair enough. Little surprised, but uh, you know, yeah, I was I expecting it. that. Yeah, I mean, uh, you know, it's always like our experiences with certain movies are always different, you know, too. Like me knowing like pretty full. Well, I was like pretty sure I was like, nah, I'm pretty sure if I, if I would have had to have guessed, I would have said reanimate would definitely be the one you liked more mm-hmm. of the two. I wasn't quite sure how, like how close they were for you, but I was pretty sure like reanimate is like definitely one of Milsey's favorite movies. So, yeah, I think of reanimator and from beyond like in the same yeah, they're like, bro- like brother sister movies. Yeah, like Aliens is my all time favorite movie, but Alien is also amazing and I love it. Mm. And it's like mm-hmm. kind of the same thing where Reanimator is like, you ask me my favorite movies and that one jumps to mind. But then, like, momentarily, I'm like, oh, yeah, also From Beyond is amazing. Yeah. I definitely give From Beyond props for like the the wild nature of it. But even when I just like think of like horror, like I do find da- this what like the situation of Dagon, I would find so much more <laughs> like uh, unnerving mm-hmm. for myself. The Beyond like is a factor. Yeah, I know Brian Yuzna has said that um, they basically ran out of the production budget before they could finish the special effects for the finale of the movie. Mm. And there are moments where it looks a little crummy <laughs> right there sure. at the end when like. Uh, you know, Jeffrey Combs has like devolved into like a bloody fleshy skeleton head. And he's like fighting with uh, his body that is Dr. Pretorius. And he like bites the hand that's holding on to Barbara Crampton so she can escape. Like it's kind of weird and crappy looking like that's another one. If they had a little more budget, like Mm -hmm. that idea of the other dimension like when they turn on the resonator, basically everything is like got a, a pink light and then you see a couple of floating creatures, which is cool. And I like those old special effects, but like the way that it's even described in the Lovecraft story as like uh, almost like a completely different world that's like translucent and mm-hmm. overlapping hours, like they could have potentially done more with a bigger budget. And like, there's, I feel like there's a lot more that they could have explored that they didn't with that premise where it's almost a shame that unlike reanimator from beyond is the one that doesn't have uh, any sequels. Like it would have been interesting to see what they could have done with like Mm -hmm. from beyond two and three and and like what else they could have done with the resonator. But yeah, like as like the tech got a little better for movie making to see like what, yeah, what the other, the other dimensions could look like when they turn it on. Mm-hmm. But just, I mean, yeah. there's a lot of potential there that we didn't get, but what we got, I still can't deny that. I absolutely love it. <laughs> so, I love it. I love it. <laughs> right on, right on, Mills baby. All right. Uh, well, what are we gonna watch on uh, episode sixty-eight of Triple Threat let's, Theater? Let's see, friend. How many uh, episodes have we got in the? 238 themes locked and loaded. 238. Here we go, Mills. Give it to Here me. Here we go. 102, Millsy. 102. Still relatively low. All right. Let's see. Let's ah. see. Oh. <laughs> All right. 
we go. Next episode, we are going to be talking mainstream smut. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. This was like, yeah, there, did these all come out right around the same time? I th- Like within a year or two? Maybe. I'm not 100% sure, but I think it's possible. It definitely, I'm looking at these titles, they all feel like they're from the same era. Yeah. All right. Uh, now for something different. Yeah. Well, maybe. A little. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I don't want to say too much and give our head, but I'm curious how you're going to take to some of these or what your thoughts on them are. But, uh, yeah. uh, I've never seen any of them. Oh, really? Oh, yeah. this is going to be interesting. <laughs> Here we go. All right. So, uh, yeah, next episode, Triple Threat Theater number uh, 68, we're going to be talking mainstream smut. And potentially more than ever, I would love to see people's guesses as to what they think we're going to be talking on this episode. Totally. Uh, So, yeah, get those uh, guesses in. Check out the old uh, Triple Threat Theater Instagram page and toss a few guesses our way. Mm -hmm. And uh, until next time, my name is Ryan Miller. I'm Joe Daxbarker. Cat dead. Details later. That was one of the finest movies I've ever seen. They ought to make them all like that. None of this nonsense about social matters. People don't go to the movies to see how miserable the world is. They go there to eat popcorn and be happy. Be happy, happy, happy. happy.